It took a year to close that round and we closed it in uh, 2007. So from the point uh, I decided to build an internet business to the point we did our first round of VC was 10 years. Wow. Yeah. 10 years. Any founders can't imagine uh, doing, doing a startup for 10 years. Welcome to a very special episode of the Nua Capital podcast. I'm here today with my good friend, Leith Zerakat, who's currently a partner at Arzan, one of the leading venture capital firms in the region. Prior to joining Arzan, Leith was the co-founder of Giran. Giran.com was one of the region's um, leading digital and internet businesses. Um, we, talked, we thought this was a very special conversation because we really chart the growth of Giran. It's starting from the date of its founding through to... Um, its ultimate unraveling. And what we wanted to focus on in this conversation is really look at how uh, a company can grow very quickly, but then ultimately uh, unravel um, and, and, and for it not to work out and to take the lessons from that type of failure. Um, I've known uh, Leith from my time at Accelerator Technology Holdings, which was also an investor of G- at Giron at the time. So we have a both sides of the table type of conversation here. We break up the episode, we break up the conversation into two parts. The first is a um, really talking about the genesis of Giron, the founding of Giron, how late became a founder. And the second part, the second episode, which we'll release uh, shortly, is really focused on um, uh, the unraveling of Giron, what went wrong, and the lessons taken from that failure. So welcome to the Nua Capital Podcast. Uh, today we have a very, very, extremely special guest, Leith Zerat, an old, old friend, and we'll get into um, where we uh, have known each other over the past, I would say, 15 years. Um, the, 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 the angle that we'd like to take today or the purpose of our podcast today is to talk about how companies can reach kind of the pinnacle and how things can turn quickly and what are the lessons learned from, you know, a company that was once at the top of its uh, game and then, and then unfortunately didn't, uh, didn't, didn't come through. So Leith is one of the few founders in the region that has uh, been through that uh, journey. And uh, we think that uh, these, these types of stories are incredibly important to tell. Um, and we're so happy that Leith has uh, agreed to join us to discuss it. So maybe Leith, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about, uh, about, about your background, where you're from, what your story is, and then we'll get into uh, Giran and how we got there. Okay. Well, thank you, Khalid. Uh, I think uh, you know, these days, very, very special people are people who succeed and build their great companies. Uh, and I do think that that description you know, is, is reserved for those people. Best command. Uh, I think uh, special people who give it a very, very you know good shot and learn from their mistakes. That's mo- most important. I think there's a lot of uh, founders out there who have been through that. There's, there's a lot of founders who are going through that right now. Uh, stories, you know, here in the media, companies up and down. So it's, it's a rough time. And uh, everybody is special. Everybody who gives it a really honest shot uh, deserves to be, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, regarded to any applauded um, so and my my story with the internet uh, began in the summer of uh, 97 uh, I was uh, uh, ju- I just finished my first year uh, in dentistry school um, 
and finished uh, you know between quotes because you know I finished it but I didn't pass so I flunked uh, because I wasn't going to classes I didn't want to be a dentist or I was more into computers or just kind of uh, pass, passing the time um, I had done pretty well in high school which was kind of a curse and a blessing so a blessing you know you know you've done well you feel good but a curse in in a sense that you you know you you were given this opportunity to be a doctor or a dentist in a country where that really really matters yeah this is jordan this is jordan so everyone is aware of that uh-huh. yeah so um so i was kind of uh, convinced also quote unquote to give it a shot and maybe i will like it um i wanted to be a car designer this is where my you know uh creative innovative uh, roots uh, come from um f- but that also was a very very distant dream um i was into computers and technical stuff uh and the internet was new back then uh, 90 i think 95 was the first time i used a modem to connect to anything it was nets online in jordan i remember that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of uh, you know people only people with gray hair remember nets uh um uh, you could send emails it was magical uh, and it wasn't really email it was really just messages because to send email outside the country you had to wait uh, they would send the emails in bulks i think uh, once or twice a day it, it was funny uh but but back then it it uh, it was like yeah yeah there was a there was a message board too right there was a there was a something like that it was the primary use my primary use was the message board i think if i remember it Yeah yeah the message boards man this was the social network of Amman. Oh, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. yeah and as you're talking and it's it's not really it's it's you know it's the internet which we think of as very global at the time it was super local so it's like you're talking to your neighbor right on nets basically you've discovered someone living down the street or Exactly and people people actually had real names yeah yeah uh, yeah and you knew who this this person was and this was a classmate of who and uh, I'm sure a lot of what happens today on social networking uh, went on as well um i'm one who who got on on onto nets to just waste time um uh chat and be opinionated and uh you know write about politics and music and yeah uh, but it fascinated me you know this this whole thing and uh, jumping from that closed uh, bulletin board system onto the world wide web back then was like you know it's like you go from uh i don't know Erbid to new york that's how it felt jumping when you when you get access to the internet of course the internet back then was uh, very expensive it was i think 8 gbs an hour so when you went to your friend's house who happened to have internet i couldn't afford it back then uh that was like really jumping to a different dimension um so uh, 96 uh, i was in high school uh 90 uh sorry 95 I was in high school this is when nets was a big 96 uh university didn't do much internet browsing um as much as I, I wanted to so I was just kind of discovering uh the the utility of the internet and you know the potential I realized later uh summer of 97 uh I uh, spent some time uh with other friends who who were more tech savvy uh, had internet at home and you know we 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 got into conversations you know just like you you sit and you get into conversations about cars and music and uh, 
art and uh, football, you know, nerds, uh, you talk about the internet and what's going on. And, uh, you know, some things resonated, which was all these companies like Amazon uh, capitalizing on the internet and making money. Of course, business, mo the, the whole thing about business models and business planning and uh, what we, you know, what are essential things for you to understand today, we, we had no idea about. It was just uh, fun, amazing, exciting. Uh, let's just go there. Um, and at that time, uh, I was doing dentistry and I hated it. Um, and I felt uh, like I needed an outlet. And I was very, very commercially uh, motivated. Uh, I, w I wasn't into it to kind of change the world, I think. <laughs> Think that came later uh it was like how can you be a millionaire what's the fastest way to make a million bucks because that's what that's the media uh, over there in the us that's that's the cover that's the coverage uh, that was before of course the internet bubble and um, which is pretty much you know what you hear in the media here in this region uh it's a sensationalization of of everything right yeah and very very well driven rather than exactly exactly and i think there's nothing wrong with that because everything is well driven and so uh, i started um, creating web pages for myself um to put up my car sketches so at that point i still didn't decide to build a business i was like this is fascinating you gotta be on there uh And I started like putting up my car sketches uh, online and I, I uh, used a bunch of free hosting platforms, uh, one of which was GeoCities. So that, that also fascinated me. And uh, as I learned about HTML and a bit of technical uh, technicalities of, of what a web page is, I thought, well, other people like me are going to need a place to make it easy for them to create a website. So I wanted to create the GeoCities of the, the Arab world. Uh, at the time, uh, the vision started with, let me put the businesses online because you would expect that um, businesses are more savvy, they're more commercially motivated to uh, be on this new medium. So they have a vested interest and they would invest in this and they would actually spend money. Uh, so I built something called uh, Jordan Mall. That was the precursor, the precursor of, of Jiran. What, what year was this? That was 97. I actually booked the domain wow. and I started building it. Early. It yeah. took me, I would say, I would say it took me um, about four months to, from using the internet almost on a daily basis to building my own uh, web page, personal web page, to deciding there's a business in it uh, to, and then decided to build a platform for other people and businesses. So, you know, you think uh, when you're small and you think, you know, Jordan is the, is the world. Is the, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think a man is the center of the world. And you're like, huh. yeah, I want to build this thing for Jordan. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, that's, a, I think, another podcast for itself is like how Jordanian, so many like people in Jordan failed to, since we're both Jordanians, failed to Transcend Jordan. They're very like, uh, comfortable in Amman. Like it's a thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, your world starts off really, really uh, small, and then it really expands. It's just like a little baby. You know, your world is your crib and your room. 
uh, it was similar and we thought, yeah, I could build a, you know, a billion dollar business for Jordan. Um, so that, that lasted for about two years, uh, funny enough. Um, so during that first year, it was just like learning HTML, trying to find a co-founder. Um, I actually was very conscious about the, you know, my shortcomings and about the need to have a partner. Of course, the word co-founder wasn't in my dictionary back then. Um, so it was like partner, Shriek. Uh, and so I had friends who, who had spare time. Uh, I worked with two people. They didn't stick, you know, kids back then. They just want to, you know, go to university, come back, go out, hang out. And I was just stuck in front of my screen and didn't go out. I had no social life. And, you know, I believe this was, this was the way. Um, so throughout that first year, I actually created um, Jordan Mall. I created a directory of local businesses. Of course, all on my own, like businesses didn't know they were on the directory. Uh, I made it seem like, uh, you know, they had actually built those pages, but I, I would build it myself. Um, every business page was a single page of images scanned from <clears throat> local uh, business uh, directory guide um, back then. This is how you would find like car rentals, uh, travel agents. There was like, there were like these small booklets. So I would buy them. And I would scan uh, these images. Um, so by the end of, of that year, uh, by the summer of 98, I had actually managed to get about 10,000 uh, unique visitors uh, a month to that uh, website because people from outside Jordan were actually visiting through Yahoo and links and search. Um, uh, so there was, there was something there. And uh, I started advertising uh, on Nets to um, businesses to come and get their free web page. So this was the model, you know, I'll give people free websites, they'll build them, and then you make money off of advertising. Because that was the whole, like, the first internet bubble was just like an advertising uh, model was, was king. <clears throat> so, uh, of course, that didn't really work. Um, but I actually got some signups and by signups, I mean, people sending me an email saying, I want a website. This is the address I want, and this is the email. So I would actually create those manually and send them the username and password manually by email. So I was kind of the, the engine. Uh, I was the signup form. Uh, and that's how uh, things work. Cause I didn't know how to code back then. And, uh, during that time, I actually got, got offered jobs, uh, one of which was uh, at Nets, uh, because I spammed the bulletin board systems with come get your free website. Uh, I remember back then I was giving, uh, <clears throat> I was giving five megabytes of free space. Um, and that, that was a lot back then. You could do a lot with five megabytes. Uh, and uh, Marwan Jama, who later became minister of IT here in Jordan, uh, called me up and was like, uh, hi, Leith, this is Marwan Juma. Come, uh, let's talk. He offered me a job uh, back then for 600 JDs a month. So I was a, like a college kid. But I, I said, no, I want to build my own business. Uh, back then, uh, Nets and uh, Global One and some other company were doing these, uh, trying to build these portals. So we called it the portal wars back then in Jordan. And these were ISPs. They doubled as ISPs, right? Exactly, exactly. 
so so throughout this time, you know, you talk to people and like people would literally laugh in my face uh, when I talk about doing business on the internet, making money on the internet and talking about millions and billions in valuations. Uh, of course, yeah, I mean, people were like, this guy is uh, crazy. Um, so by the end of, of that year, in the summer of 98, I met my co-founder who eventually uh, continued. Uh, we worked together for a long time. And uh, at that point, we actually, you know, you have a sounding board. Uh, and you actually have someone where you can validate things with. Uh, someone who could, uh, you know, come and look at things and give you, you know, unbiased opinion, at least as far as, you know, his involvement is with, let's say, technical things and design things. And so, uh, uh, you know, he brought in the business element, which I knew I, I lacked. Uh, and then we started talking about uh, fundraising and we need money to build this. Uh, so for, I think, what, maybe it's like six months, we were working on a business plan. And a proper business plan was, I think, like a 50, 60 page pages. Pages, huh? Had like lots of, uh, <laughs> lots of text in yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And like uh, website specs and all of that. And then we realized that we need someone to build this website for us. And um, so we, talk, we actually talked to a bunch of companies in the US. And I remember this one company said, like, if your budget is, is less than $600,000, we can't talk to you. This is the starting point. So this is when we said, okay, let's go and try to raise money. And then talking uh, to a few people, and by the time we finished the business plan, we realized like nobody, no US investor is gonna give you money to build a company for Jordan. It's just stupid. Um, it's just not on anybody's radar, especially then. Well, it's not now, but imagine like uh, 15, oh, 20 years ago. Yeah. yeah, but you know, man, like the, Ignorance is bliss. And the fact that we actually believed that that could work <clears throat> is what, what, what actually, you know, it pushes you to that point where you work on a businessman, you actually talk to some people believing you, they would invest and then realizing that they won't invest. Like if someone told you no one's going to do it, you're not going to learn. You're not going to really understand why. Yeah, yeah. Like experience is sometimes the enemy of innovation, right? Like if you're too experienced, you, it's your lack of experience that lets you believe in yourself sometimes. So. Exactly. It's ignorance. Like you don't know what's coming. You don't know it's hard and you don't know like all the agony and pain and, uh, you know, things that you're going to lose along the way. Because I think, I believe like nothing is free in life. Uh, you know, you're going to put something in to get something out. And sometimes that thing is, is too expensive for you, but you don't know it. So you keep going until you, you hit that limit. Um, Everybody has a different limit, of course. Um, so at that point, we said, okay, so maybe someone will give us money if this was more of a broader market, like the Arab world. So this was the learning. This was the, the, the kind of actionable insight that we, we got. Yeah. And, and was the vision clear at that point when you're looking? Was it, you know, we want to do a direct listings business or directory business or what, how are you thinking about it? Uh, up until that point? Yes. But as soon as we realized that nobody's going to fund a business, a startup the, targeting Jordan, 
we said, let's make it bigger. And then we said, okay, so this is for the Arab world. Okay, let's target the Arab world. And then when we started thinking about, you know, the name, the brand, and how this is going to look, and we we looked at our customers, uh, the people who had actually had websites, um, and we realized one thing is that the people who actually wanted our service were the individuals, not the businesses. So this is when we decided to shift to what later on we realized was being called um, user-generated content and self-publishing. Um, so we, we scrapped the whole like business directory and we said, look, businesses are like really slow. Uh, they're the late movers. The early movers, the early adopters are the kids, teenagers, more tech savvy. And um, this is when we decided to uh, shift. Um, we had this directory inside of jordanmall.com called The Neighborhood. And this is where we tried to build that community of businesses and pages. And then we're like, okay, let's, let's, let's like come up with a name for that. And then this is when Jiran, the name Jiran came out of. So we used that, we, we bought the domain. And, and also in parallel, we realized like we, we're not gonna have $600,000 to build this, not even a hundred. So we should build it ourselves. And at that point I had become a bit, a bit technical, but not really, really sophisticated. Um, and by then it was the summer of 2000. Okay. So my partner Omar was still studying in the States. So he was always back and forth in, on, on uh, summer holidays. So that summer I had finished um, my third year. Well, it wasn't my third year. It was like my fourth, but you know, repeating flunking a few years it was so i had passed i had done first year flunked <laughs> done second year flunked um and that was like by that time i had like uh i, I was flunking i think second year or flunking third year i can't remember <laughs> anyway uh it took me eight years to 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 pass to finish a five-year program in the university and it's a, it's a, it's it's not a credit hour system. It's more of a like you have to pass the year or you repeat the entire year. So that's why. So anyway, so on that uh, in that year, I was like really depressed. I I didn't, couldn't pass, but I had see all I could think of is like we're gonna build this website. This is like I just need to finish in order to go and have the time to build it. So I actually uh, took a trip to the states. Uh, my co-founder was uh, going to university in Utah and I went there, stayed for about uh, my brother was there as well so I stayed with them and it, it was like a you know a garage startup uh, story uh, proper old old school garage comp like you know yeah and as, as soon as I got there uh, you know he had bought this book uh, ASP uh, scripting for dummies and uh, I, I, I set on, uh, you know, uh, reading it. And uh, within a week, I was actually coding, like proper code. Yeah. This is your co-founder, Omar Qutsi, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, so he was more into servers and backend and like system admins. I was more into the coding and the app building. Uh, so we kind of like, complimented each other on that. Uh, 
And in that summer, we actually built the MVP. And we created a really like a legit sign-up page with uh, registration and password and, uh, you know, okay. all of that. Um, so I don't want to like, spend too much time on this story, but it's it's there's a lot of uh, really simple, uh, obvious things that people uh, these days um, just know and uh, or like, information that's readily available that wasn't back then. And just the the idea that you had to actually go buy a book and sit and read it to learn how to just build a simple page. When today you you have so many resources, so many people who can teach you how to code, so many boot camps, and free of charge, sponsored by the government or the USAID or the World Bank. And back then, man, like I I remember in university, I had to actually um, I had to counterfeit my college ID to say that I was an engineering student uh, to gain access to the computer labs so that I can have access to the internet and download uh, HTML tutorials and scripting tutorials. So uh, in 2000, uh, we had built the MVP and we actually made our first uh, penny because someone came and said, hey, this thing that you guys built, like I can sell to other you know, corporate clients who want this file uploader with a sign-up form and a bunch of these things. So we actually made $2,000 just selling like version one of Jiran um, to that guy who was just running, a, I think, a, f- a freelance outfit uh, doing building websites for people. And we used that money to, to support uh, the business. Um, so we launched... Um, and we started um, attracting customers. It was word of mouth. Um, we had a whole like uh, array of services in addition to building your own website. We had a bulletin board system. Of course, you know you take from what you, what you know. Like that's that's how you, they built a community. So you're like, yeah, let's build a bulletin board system. And we would get online and and. Uh, and we would talk to each other as if we were strangers to kind of create that sense that people were meeting. Seed it with fake content. Um, yeah. But, uh, that lasted for about uh, a year. And I think Omar uh, came to Amman. That's when we actually you know, started working together from his place, my place, his dad's office. And uh, back then, there's no incubators, no accelerators, nothing. By that time, it was 2001. By then, the business is starting as a business, to, or the offering is starting to come together in a more kind of clearer way. You wanted to, um, you know, build out that first feature, which is like the, the bulletin board or message board, and and build those communities yeah, around that. So, so that's you know, 2001. Where did you go from there? So from there, we we decided to start actually charging people for premium. Uh, websites. So we sold people extra space and domain names. You had, up until that point, you could get a subdomain on Jiran. So it would be like uh, khalidtelhuni.jiran.com. This is free. You could do whatever you want with it. Uh, then we, we gave people uh, domain names where we, you know, we, we, we became like a reseller for a domain registrar. Um, and we became a reseller for hosting as well. Uh, and we also figured out how to accept credit cards online which was uh, a breakthrough back then for a company in uh, in Jordan. 
And uh, we actually started making legit revenue uh, and the company started really growing. Um, so at, at one point we, we had issues with servers, uh, traffic, capacity. So we decided to raise some money from friends and family. You know, we went to like our cousins, our brothers, our, our moms and said, hey, we have this business, it's making money. And uh, how about you invest? And uh, back then, you know, you don't know how to evaluate things. So we, I think uh, we needed 15K and we said, uh, all right, just uh, 150K valuation. Um, so this 15K was our first legit round. Uh, we bought servers, uh, paid a few expenses. Um, and along the way, we, we actually uh, also brought in a third co-founder, Mohammed Muslih. Um, he now works uh, in Palestine, running like uh, entrepreneurship uh, initiatives in the government. Uh, so he was in charge of community and users and all of that because that became a real burden. You know, you, you actually, we were actually answering support emails and, and complaints. Uh, by then it was 2002 and uh, uh, this is when we got a, a call from Khaldun Tabaza uh, who uh, ended up running Aymina. Uh, and uh, so he was uh, advising the government on setting up uh, the first incubator in Jordan called iPark. It still exists today. So he said, guys, like, I know you, uh, you're, uh, you know, I like what you're doing. We're looking for companies to, you know, come into this incubator. So, and we didn't know, like, what was an incubator, what, what they were asking. And they asked for a business plan. And at that point, we, we didn't have one. And we were very weary, like, why do they want to know our business? What's going on? So this whole thing wasn't, it wasn't like uh, something you did every day. So we, we got accepted. And what this meant for us was just like a very cheap office. It wasn't even free. I mean, these days you get a lot of free space. It wasn't even free. We, we paid, but it was cheap. Um, and that's when we actually became like a, a proper team, a real company. Because then you, you could hire people. People would come to an office. They would come to a meeting room. Even coming to an interview was different. We couldn't interview people in our homes. So even if we had the money. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of created this big shift. Um, and uh, I think it's when we really started taking this much, much more seriously. It transitions from a project to uh, like an actual business that people treat you, look at you a certain way, treat you a certain way, like deal with you differently. Yeah, and now you are visible. Uh, that, you know, before that, we were just in our homes. If we failed, nobody knew. Uh, at that point, we became visible. People were watching. Uh, okay, where is Jiran today? What are they going to be doing tomorrow? Um, so that that's that's a good part of. Um, that was two years in that incubator. We hired, fired people, went through a lot of ups and downs, and co-founder, you know. Uh, disputes and uh, good times, bad times. Um, we learned that, you know, going to events and sponsoring events is just a big waste of time and money. <laughs> uh, it, gives you, it gives you a false sense of uh, doing work when it's really not. 
um, I'm saying, you know, it makes sense for, for some big companies where there's a big uh, you know, segment of your clientele at the event. But for a startup, I don't think there's any value. I wish like more, more founders took that on board. So I think that's the first lesson of, of today is like, you know, uh, you, there's an inverse relationship between the time you spend at like entrepreneurship events uh, or, or startup events and how much money you spend on it and the success of those businesses. It's, it's uh, first, I mean, the most important thing is this false sense of success or achievement. You wake up every morning looking for an achievement. Now, if you get it, you stop. You just go celebrate or you go, you know, watch a movie, right? Like this is human nature. I mean, to different degrees. Some people want like two, three, four successes a day. Some people want one. And But whatever it is, you want that success to come from the business, to come from real like KPIs, milestones achieved. Going to an event and putting up a really nice colorful booth is just a waste of time, especially for, for someone who was actually coding the product like I was, like to go to the booth and start instructing, you know, you know, this color is good, this color is bad. They put this, you know, computer here and it's just a waste of time. Uh, at the, during that phase, I want to give credit to people who really, really mattered a lot during our, you know, uh, journey. I think um, our first angel investor was Anas Rimawi. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah. Uh, he, was, uh, he was the cousin of Muhammad Muslah, uh, who was our third co-founder. And uh, he supported a lot, like gave us a lot of that, you know, adult perspective on things. Uh, he made some really good connections, at least for us to meet people uh, to sit with and listen to. And um, I remember we did our first like founders agreement. Um, I think it was 2002. Uh, it's what people like these days call like the shareholder agreement, but we... We really laid out uh, our, even we, we had a vesting schedule and everything. Uh, and it was just obvious back then for us. I mean, sometimes I'm, I'm really surprised at like, mature founders these days who talk to investors. Sometimes they're raising a seed round and there's no vesting schedule. And, and you have like three founders and they're all fully vested. But what happens if one of them leaves or two of them leaves? And, and it's, it's what part of what, we do these days uh, when we talk to a company is we look at that and we try to fix it. Yeah, very important, critical. Yeah, yeah. And and we had that nailed down as, uh, you know, first year, second year, there's up to five years. And one of us actually left uh, in the fourth year and we enforced it. Um, so some things that we were lucky, you know, to, to have certain things uh, sometimes Things came obviously uh, naturally, but we had people around us to, who, who gave us good advice. Another uh, person is Khaldun. I think aside from actually getting us into the incubator, uh, Khaldun was at the time building uh, a bunch of businesses for uh, uh, a Saudi company called NTG, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah. So he built he built uh, something called One Card, and he built. Um, he built uh, a company called Net Advantage. So Net Advantage was an ad agency for online publishers, and this is when we really made like our like really the first uh, advertising dollar we've ever made was through Net Advantage, and we actually managed to save a good amount of money to leave the incubator and start and, and get an office and furnish it and all of that. 
So uh, a lot of credit uh, goes to you know those people for believing in, in us and and for uh, being really really good mentors. Um, so the incubator gave us two years, and then we had to look for some someplace else, and which we did. Um, we rented an office, we painted it with our colors. It was like all nice. It's like you know, it's like playing house. You know, back then. As, as young kids, um, it was like, uh, yeah, it's just this fun thing that you, you're doing. First time you feel like an adult in a way. But I believe even that was a bit stupid. You know, we overdid it with uh, colors and painting and furniture. And- uh, but it's a forgivable thing. I think, like, you know, there's a level of excitement and, you know, that's fine. Like, it's just part of... Yeah, when you raised, like, $5 million and you spend... Fifty thousand on on an office, uh, yeah, that's fine. But if if you've saved if you've saved up like thirty k, and you spend fifteen on an office, that's <laughs> so. But that's that was also a lesson learned. Like I would like I would be picky about like the paint on the wall, and uh, so it's just stupid. Going back to like things like wasting time in events and like don't waste time on very tiny things like. You know, the carpeting and the desk, small stuff, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I felt that you know getting an office was also a great step because it helps in recruiting. Uh, by then, I actually graduated graduated college. Uh, so again, uh, I graduated in two thousand and four. Took me eight years. Um, we already had uh, three employees plus the f- the two of us by then uh, because one of us left. So we were five people. And then we, we went on a, like a hiring spree because you had this office, you needed to fill it, right? <laughs> and that's another thing. Uh, sometimes like a small space is good because it gives you constraints. It keeps you grounded. Everybody feels the pressure to fill up an office. It's, uh, it's like when you raise too much money, you have to spend it. Yeah, and like one of the stupidest things we had in the office was like a reception desk. What, what, what does an internet company like us at that stage but we had no customers coming to us. What would we need a reception desk for? And it was the most expensive desk in the in the office. Like the others were just like small. That was like, you know, these reception desks big with a side table and and then you needed a receptionist because you have a reception desk, right? <laughs> so uh that's also a decision I feel was uh was unnecessary. But then the receptionist doubled as an HR person and then, you know an office manager and all of that. Uh, so by then it was uh, t- 2000 and uh, I think it was 2004, five. It was 2005 by then. And uh, we, you know, started realizing that the ecosystem in Jordan had evolved. Uh, there was, there was somewhat of an ecosystem. There was the MENA ICT forum already happened. Uh, twice uh, back then uh, and shortly after that we met uh, Emil Kubesi from Accelerator Technology Holdings uh, we met him through Emil through uh, Anas Rimawi and um, we started talking about investing uh, he was looking for deals they were setting up this new fund and that was in a way, like that was the first time I had heard the word VC twice in one week. 
or, or even twice in one month. Um, so, um, yeah, so that was a very long process. Um, I don't know when, like, when you joined exactly uh, back then, but... Yeah, so I, uh, I was there for a little, for a short period of time, about a year and a half, maybe a, a year and... Uh, yeah, a year and a half, almost two years. And I was, um, uh, so just by background, so ATH, Accelerated Technology Holdings, is probably one of the first dedicated uh, investment firms targeting technology in the region. It, it's difficult to kind of characterize it purely as a VC because it did it tried to do different things like in different areas. Some of it is would not be recognizable as VC today. Um, stuff like... Um, um, uh, data centers, that kind of thing. But uh, but a, p- a big part of it was to look at early stage companies and give them kind of growth funding. Um, and I joined around two th- late 2007, I think, um, early 2008. Um, and I think that's when we met, I think right about that time. they I think they'd already invested at that point. Or it was relatively, right? Am I... If I get the time. Yeah, I right. think they had done maybe one or two deals. I think they did Rubicon back then already. Yeah, yeah, they did do Rubicon uh, by that point. And it was a smallish fund, but I think one of the first backers of, uh, of kind of tech companies in the region. Um, uh, it, had to, it was probably slightly premature for its time, but it was, uh, it, it had like the right vision, the right kind of approach, et cetera. So, I think Jiran was one of their first investments, actually. Yeah, yeah. I remember that uh, uh, it took a year to close that round. We closed it in uh, 2007. So, and from the point uh, I decided to build an internet business to the point we did our first round of VC was 10 years. Wow. <laughs> Very unusual now. Yeah, 10 years. Any founders can't imagine uh, doing, doing a startup for 10 years. Um, so we pivoted once, uh, and at the say at that point, uh, we had also kind of pivoted from uh, website uh, builder to more blogging and social, uh, like uh, networking. And when I when I met you, it was became much more that like uh, if it was analogous to like a regional like blogspot.com or something like that, right? That was kind of the direction of travel, but you've retained the, the the kind of directory slash message board element as well. So it's kind of a hybrid of the two in a way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hybrid is is a nice word, but I think along the way it became like this beast. Yeah. Uh, so it's many things that were just um, disconnected. Um, we had uh, discussion boards. We had uh, website builder. We had blogs. We had uh, photo sharing, video sharing. We we even had something like a Dropbox where you could actually upload files into folders and share the folders with people on Jiran. And uh, we came up with a nice innovation uh, of like a flash player. You know, flash, nobody sees it these days. But So uh, we created a flash player that would automatically, if you launch it from the browser, it would load all the MP3s that you've uploaded into your uh, storage and play them, stream them. So it was like an online music streaming, like get carry your music anywhere 
but of course, you know, nowhere near, you know, what the iPod eventually uh, ended up being. Uh, you know, we, we actually did believe that, you know, one day people would uh, uh, use their phones to play music uh, from a browser uh, using Flash. But of course, yeah. anyway, so we, we raised our first round from ATH. And I remember the discussions around valuation back then. Um, we got a $2 million valuation, but that was contingent on milestones. So I think we barely got $1 million. And then they said, okay, like you believe the business is worth this, this much, then if you achieve those targets, we'll... Very different world. I remember coming into that process at the end when that deal was closing or just closed. And I remember thinking like, what are you guys doing? It should be worth half a million dollars. <laughs> but that's a like, totally different universe yeah, at the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and our burn at that point, like we had a full-fledged business, we had revenue, uh, we were selling ads. Uh, our burn at that point I think, was 10 or 15K. Uh, salaries, you know, in general, the market was like really very, very different. You could hire a fresh graduate uh, for maybe 300 JDs, which is like $400. Um, now you can't hire that person for a thousand dollars. Yeah. What, uh, do you remember some of the kind of high level traction you had? So how many use unique users or community or bloggers, etc. I remember that, uh, at the peak we had, uh, 600,000, uh, websites and blogs mm-hmm. built mm-hmm. on Jira. Mm-hmm. And we had about 2 million registered users. Yeah. Uh, we had 7 million unique monthly visitors. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we set a target for, I think, 12. Mm-hmm. We could just never break. Yeah, we could just never reach, reach 8 at that point. Uh, and that was, I think, uh, maybe two years after the ATH investment. And uh, I mean, just to give some context, like at the time, the, the, you know, today that doesn't sound like that much, but for a content business it, it, in the internet focused on the Arab world then, that was not an insignificant amount of all the people online. That was probably maybe 40 million uniques to be had in the region total, maybe 30 to 50 in that range. Uh, and so having 8 million, so you, you kind of had attracted a good, um, anywhere from, you know, like a good chunk of the overall internet population, right? At some point of the region as a whole. If you take the region as like the GCC, the Levant and Egypt, take that as a whole, you probably like anywhere between 20 to 30% of all people online saw Jiran at some point in a month. Yeah, I mean, I, I believe so. Uh, also to, to kind of give it a more uh, scientific uh, any uh, estimation uh, you remember back then alexa yeah yeah became a thing like the alexa ranking yeah at the time b- before maktoub got sold to yahoo we were kind of yeah neck and neck maktoub was the one to beat yeah for us maktoub was a bit ahead but you were the second like most traffic probably site in the region at that time yeah and we, we would always compare our ranking to maktoub and we almost almost surpassed Maktoub mm-hmm. in ranking. Mm-hmm. I remember the curve, the Alexa curve, because on Alexa, you could yeah, like, yeah. Compare. enter your, your domain and compare with your competitor. Mm-hmm. 
And we would look at that like every week. Yeah. And there's this curve, you know, the, the, the two curves meet and then they, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, we drop and they keep going up. I think at that point there was like a, an algorithm change in how Alexa ranked things or we actually did lose <laughs> uh, to Maktoub. And we got to a point where we were ranked 300 globally. Yeah. Um, that was the peak in terms of traffic. And uh, I think for me, what like a very, very important pivotal point in my like journey was when I realized that, that we've been around for more than 10 years. Mm-hmm. So a lot must have changed. And a lot did change, but we're not talking about that. Mm-hmm. You know, no one is saying, guys, the internet has changed. Yeah, It's like, you know, you grew up riding horses, but now people are flying. Yeah, And you're still, you know, in your village, riding a horse, maybe taking a taxi every now and then. And you're, like, you're judged, like your whole perception is, uh, it's okay, like I'm... Everybody around me is 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 uh, like I'm, I'm building a business for the village, mm-hmm. uh, not knowing that uh, you know these global businesses like Facebook, like YouTube, are actually taking away cus- taking customers away from you, mm-hmm. and uh, so the world changed mm-hmm. while we were trying to build, fix, grow, raise money, mm-hmm. and you didn't have this uh, global perspective. I mean, today you can access any content. You can access any news. Something happens in Silicon Valley, like you hear about it the next minute. Uh, things get shared. Uh, you know everything. Um, so we didn't know mm-hmm. that you know the world was changing. Essentially, yeah. Uh, it's like it's like the difference between logging onto a website, logging onto the internet, and browsing and seeing what the latest games and trends were mm-hmm. versus waiting for your, you know, uh, bookstore next door, mm-hmm. um, uh, to, to go and buy the next issue of, of, you know, uh, computer gamer magazine to then discover what the trends are, what's happening. Yeah. It's, this is how it felt back then. Yeah. So to kind of set the scene, this is late 2009, 2010, you've raised money. Uh, you've been operating, you know, frugally, but you're growing aggressively. You are the 300th most trafficked site in the world, which is not an insignificant achievement, right? Uh, definitely the number two player in the region by just traffic, um, uh, possibly getting at parity with number one. So your trajectory is onwards and upwards. You're moving in that direction. And then... Um, you know, you've been in the business 10 years a lot, and, and you, I think you're starting to say how like things started to change. The internet was changing. It was not the one, it was not the message boards of 1997. This, you know, the whole uh, way users interact were changing. But you were at a pinnacle, like you were at a kind of like a high point of being one of the major, or if the major or, or one of the major players in the regional internet space. And then, and then what happened is the question. And where, where did we go from there? I think, uh, I think VC money uh, does two things to you. Um, it's no longer just your business. 
um, you're no longer working for yourself for the reasons that you started this business for. Uh, you are working for others uh, as well as yourself. Um, and you have to talk to these others. You have to answer their questions. You have to do meetings and you have to update your pitch deck. And sometimes these conversations, I think, didn't need to happen at the point they happened. Uh, you know, when you're in a meeting, people are just going to say, oh, what's going on? Why is this this? Why is this up? Why is this down? And it's just because people can't just meet and say, hey, you know what? We have nothing to discuss. Uh, I hope everything's good. Uh, let me know if you need anything. And, of course, investors play a very uh, big role. Uh, but I think some, some conversations around products and some of the challenges we were having, I mean, the, the VC... Uh, uh, and, and table, the VC uh, s uh, meeting was not the right place. Uh, we were meeting and discussing product, I think, with investors more than we were inside the company. I mean, you mentioned like, you know, you have like there you had challenges at that time around product and you're thinking about stuff and you went to your VCs and we'll get to like what happened to the VCs. But before that, you, uh, what were the, just to show that we have the context, what, what were the kind of two, three main issues you were facing as you were at the top, as you were at the peak, but you were realizing that, you know, we have some challenges and to keep going and to get to the next level, we have to kind of think about what's next. Um, I think the challenge was we were uh, overstretching ourselves. Okay. Uh, we were trying to grow really fast, achieve targets. These are user and revenue numbers, right? Yeah, users and revenues. Um, you needed more page because the, the, the revenue model was advertising. So more users, more uh, eyeballs, more activity, more clicks. Mm -hmm. So to, to increase, to get users is not, a, is not an easy thing, uh, especially when, you're, when, when all of your services almost are a nice to have. Uh, and they're not, uh, you're not in the entertainment, uh, like you're in content, but you're not really entertainment. I mean, these days, like, uh, you know, uh, cat videos, they get a ton of views, right? We were actually trying to create like meaningful user generated content, blog posts. That's where we came from, right? Um, so getting people, getting more and more people who were interested in that and were interested in writing and publishing that sort of content was becoming more and more and more difficult uh, because I feel that we, we had uh, tapped into that segment for the most part um, because the first internet users, the first were the tech savvy people. They were more sophisticated. They were not online to just watch cat videos. Um, they were online to actually do something, uh, voice an opinion. Um, we had politicians on Jiran, uh, uh, you know, writing. And we had one politician actually who actually got <laughs> prosecuted for like national security uh, stuff. And uh, we actually went to testify in a, in a military court wow. as tech experts. Uh, from the company that hosted this guy's blog. Wow. <laughs> so those were the kind of people who used Jiran. Mm -hmm. And I think as you, as you like, 
got into uh, started attracting the long tail, mm. um, things became harder because you have to give them something that appeals to them. And on the other side, uh, we were no longer the only choice for Arabs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had YouTube, mm-hmm. you had Facebook. Facebook, fa- Facebook went global, and then our traffic just—you know—you can see the drop. It's because people have 24 hours in a day. Mm-hmm. You know, after you eat, sleep, drink, uh, yeah. go to work. So you're top of the, you're at, you know, in a good place in terms of where you are. But then there's kind of these global businesses are fighting for mind share, right? For there's a finite amount. The number of users of internet users is growing at that point. I mean, people should remember that there's a time when, you know, mobile penetration was just picking up, which is how most people consume the internet in our part of the world. They leapfrog mm-hmm. desktop. Um, and, but at the same time, it was coming with a lot of, uh, new services that were competing for, you know, eyeballs for mind share, etc. So that that was the question that you, as a company, had to answer: is like, okay, we're here, but how do we remain uh, relevant, and how do we, you know, kind of grab more users or retain our users, etc. Yeah, uh, and and uh, you know, you had legacy as well. You had to take care of what you've built. You had to take care of that segment of users and. We started feeling that the old users, the old generation of Jiran users were detached from the new generation and uh, to service those, you're not servicing those. And, uh, you know, you see where the world is going with like social media and sharing and, but you also have users who, who still want to use your old services. It was, yani, really, uh, you cannot, there's just so many times you can pivot, I believe. Mm-hmm. Like you can't pivot six times yeah. as a company. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think uh, at that point, we also realized that we were trying to be the Facebook of the Arab world or the YouTube of the Arab world. You remember at that point, yeah. there was this, that was a theme, right? The Amazon of the Arab world. At that point, one thing mm-hmm. I realized is, the YouTube of the Arab world is YouTube and the Facebook of the Arab world is Facebook and the Google of the Arab world is Google. It's over. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was not so obvious back then, right? Like it was not so clear. These, these services were relatively new, even in 2008, 2007, right? Yes. Yes. So it was not clear if there'd be regionalized versions of it versus not. Cause you had some like globally, even in other markets, like regional versions that of, of all these different things you had like Yandex in Russia or like the Chinese versions emerged. So it was not super clear, but to your point, that became the reality 80% of the time for these content businesses. Yes. And, and also, like you said, some, there were some attempts, even regionally, you know, you remember there was Ikbis, Wetwit for Twitter. Yes, yeah, yeah. And if you, you know, if you look at this story, you know, play itself again and again and again, the Arab world, I think, is a is a consumer of trends, uh, as opposed to China, for example, or Russia. I think because we're 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 close to the Western culture, uh, our educational systems focus on English language a lot. That's a good thing, but that's I think the reason why it's easier for us to just consume uh, English and Western content trends, uh, services, products. Uh, it just didn't work. A lot of people tried. It didn't work. And um, 
me being close to the numbers and the user trends and the user behavior of my own platform, uh, I could see it. Uh, I could see people who were avid bloggers just slowly, slowly blog less and less and less and abandon their blogs. And then I see them posting on Facebook. Um, yeah. I didn't, I never thought that the language, uh, was language was an advantage. Uh, mm-hmm. at one point people were talking about, there's only 1% of, uh, you know, uh, content on the internet is in Arabic. I don't think that's, uh, even till this day, I don't think you can build a business around that, but we were actually told that you can actually build a business around that. Uh, I think Google, <laughs> Google did a lot of, uh, PR and around that to try and uh, because, you know, Google wins in the end uh, because all the content is going to be, you know, uh, published on, on YouTube and Google. And they wanted more and more content that people can search. They wanted more pages for their search index. So it serves them. But for you who has to build a business and bear the cost of developing that content, and it, it's just not viable. So you, you had these challenges, like, the, you know, you're fighting for mind share for users. And then there was, you know, where, there was a question you said, like, where do we go from here? And that's, I think, when you start talking to the VCs, right? Like, what do we do? And you involve, did you, I don't want to speak for you, but did you over-involve the VCs in what you're doing? Yeah, I, I think VCs get involved regardless, uh, even if you ask them or you don't ask them. But we were also naive in thinking, oh, they must know. 